Need a quick hit of Marketing Smarts inspiration? Here it is. We have lifted portions of our Marketing Smarts episodes for those of you who need a quick jolt of marketing savviness right now. Refer to the description for how to find a longer form version. And with that, here it is. And today we're going to talk about what happens when brand truly leads business, truly, truly leads business. So often we have conversations with our clients and our prospects that reference big brand success, quote unquote. And they look at those brands and wonder and they're just like, oh, we have no idea how they reach such success and what it takes to get there. Or on the other side, there's the perspective that it just somehow magically happens overnight. And the amount mm-hmm. of hard work, diligence, consistency and investment truly needed is completely discounted. So regardless of which side of the coin you're on, the truth of the matter is that big brands become big brands by making brand the focal point and the decision making metric for anything the company does. Yeah, and there's even another side of that coin, April, if you can have three sides to a coin, which (laughs) is that a lot of people say, well, I just have a widget. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. really have anything that's special enough to become a brand. And what we say is that anything can become a brand. It's about cultivating it in a way that actually allows it to grow in that way. And that becomes the essence then of what you create everything around your business about. Yeah, exactly. So due to all of that, we decided to bring someone from one of the big brands on the show to discuss this topic, give you a peek behind the curtain, and really give some very tangible examples from a brand we all know and many, many of us love. And that is Steve Robinson, the former CMO of Chick-fil-A. Steve, please introduce yourself and welcome to the show. Well, thank you, April and Ann. Uh, Treat to be with you. Uh, real, real quick. I grew up in South Alabama. I met Diane, my wife, on a blind date at Auburn University. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, next week we uh, no, this week we celebrate fifty years of marriage. Oh, oh congratulations! That is a big congratulations. Yeah. Um, we graduated um, one day, and four days later, we got married and oh, headed off to uh, grad school at Northwestern. Awesome. My first job was was with Texas Instruments and the semiconductor group, specifically helping them market the newfangled calculators that they had rolled out, scientific calculators. Whoa. (laughs) Uh, You know, look at them today and you'd laugh. I mean, our phones do more than those things did. Um, I was there about a year and I got recruited uh, by the brother of a Northwestern friend to be... uh, uh, become a part of Ch- uh, Six Flags uh, mm. in Texas. And I joined them. And the short of the story is I was with Six Flags for seven years, started there, had a gig at a new pro- a new project in Orlando for almost three years. But the majority of my seven years, I was director of marketing for Six Flags over Georgia. They're the ones who brought me to Atlanta. And during my tenure at the park, um, I met some of the leadership at Chick-fil-A uh, it was by our initiative, we were trying to convince them to build uh, a Chick-fil-A restaurant in the park as a way to build their brand and create trial. And you may say, well, that seems odd. Well, this is uh, back in 1977 uh, and 70, 78 in that window. And Chick-fil-A was only in malls, mm-hmm. uh, mostly mm-hmm. southeastern states, less than 100 stores. So most people did not know Chick-fil-A. So anyway, we found a site, had a store design, and they decided they didn't want to do it because they they wouldn't make any money inside the park. And 
Of course, that was never our objective. Um, if anybody was going to make money, it was going to be the park. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it was designed to build their brand and create trial. Okay. About a year and a half later, uh, one of the guys I met, who was the COO, Jimmy Collins, calls me in the summer, August of 1980. Um, ironically, two days after Diane and I had made a significant pledge to a capital program at our church, uh, where our kids were also in school. Hmm. And he said, uh, we don't have a marketing department. Uh, your name keeps coming up in our search. Would you have an interest in talking to us? Um, well, I have to tell you, April and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, <clears throat> I know you don't have a marketing department or you would have done that deal with me. You're <laughs> but touché, uh, touché. I, I, I tried, I didn't bring that up. Um, and he basically said, uh, we don't have a department and we need somebody to come in here and design and build one. Uh, our operators are experiencing more competition and we need to resource them on how to build their sales. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was thinking very transactional, you know, how do you build transactional sales? And, and I was sitting in an office where we had really been focused on building the Chick-fil-A, I mean, the Six Flags brand yep. around particularly the family experience. Our theme was hug your kids the Six Flags way. Uh, had really engineered the guest experience to go beyond just rides and, and, and really create engagement with the guests and the guests with their families. So anyway, um, they were privately owned. Six Flags was publicly owned, and we were going through some really uh, disturbing transitions with a new owner, um, a, a subsidiary of PENCO, which came out of the Penn Central reorganization. So the short of it is I told him, sure, I, I'd love to talk. I figured, uh, you know, two or three days, I got, I got nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. I'd, interviewed, I'd interviewed with Six Flags out in Dallas for one full Saturday, and they offered me the job. I'll skip ahead, uh, and then I'll pause so you can ask some questions. Uh, five months later, I'm sitting in Truett Cathy's office, who was the founder of Chick-fil-A, I'm still interviewing <laughs> and, and I'm doing it still because I love my job at Six Flags and it was, it was becoming a little difficult because I'm, I'm literally having to work around schedules to, to meet all kinds of people at, at Chick-fil-A and, and now I'm starting to meet people more than once, yep. including Truett. And I'm sitting in his office uh, now in early December, and I said, Truett, um, I really love what you're doing here. I love your, your culture, your values. I love your product. I really think I could help you, but what are you looking for in the ideal marketing candidate? And mm -hmm. am I your guy? Yep. And there was this long pause. Truett, we were eating a sandwich. He puts his down. He says, I have absolutely no idea. All I know is whatever it is, I don't want to do it. <laughs> Ringing endorsement. <laughs> yes. I am trusting Jimmy and others to figure out if you can do the job. I'm more concerned about who you are. Mm -hmm. Because if we invite you here, it's my intention that you'll never go anywhere else. Mm. Now, ladies, I already had four jobs in eight years. And uh, Six Flags was a very mobile company. 
and I'm thinking, he's got to be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, if you come here, it's because we know that we can not only trust you to do the job, but we can trust you, your character. And by the way, we can have fun together. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if we invite you to be part of this organization, uh, we want to be able to trust you impeccably so you can do your job. And I have no interest in looking over your shoulder. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two weeks later, they offered me the job and I joined them in January. Um, I think January 12th, 1981. Hmm. Uh, they had roughly 140 stores. Sales were about less than 100 million. They're pr- primarily in nine southeastern states. And I walked into my office, which was in a, um, a trailer attached to the Butler Building Home Office, <laughs> which also served as a warehouse. And uh, I not only had a clean desk, I had a clean sheet of paper. And that's how my, that's how I ended up there. Um, I had um, a, a tremendous experience with Six Flags, learned a lot, had good mentors. Uh, but what I, what I was about to experience at, at Chick-fil-A far exceeded anything I could have imagined. And as you well know, I was there in that role almost 35 years. Jeez, uh, you didn't go anywhere else. He was I right. I didn't. And uh, didn't want to. Um, I had Truett lived up to his word when he said, "I don't want to do it." He, I, I tell people, and they think I'm making it up, but I, I, I'm not. Truett never called me up to his office one time to say, "Why did you do that?" or "I don't agree with that." Mm-hmm. Now there were times I made some mistakes, and I discussed that in my book. Yep. Um, but he never did anything to undermine my confidence that he had in me and um it it fostered not just with me but certainly with my department but also as you might guess it it filters through the entire organization it fostered a very uh innovative uh, adventurous fun uh, risk-taking environment and and it led to an environment where um, ultimately marketing became a brand management department. And uh, we were involved in, by the time I left, marketing was either directing or influencing every customer touch point in the business. Well, and that is why you are the perfect man for this episode. So <laughs> That's a, not a very short, but it is a high flyby of, Roughly 43 years, um, <laughs> and uh, Diane and I are still having fun. I'm consulting now and speaking, but uh, Chick-fil-A was a great experience. Awesome. Well, we're very happy to have you, and I think everyone who's listening now understands not just why we have the Chick-fil-A brand in the room, but also Steve with all of his relevant background. So with that, we'll get into what happens when brand truly leads business. And the first point you've already preempted, which is great a little bit, Steve, and that is there's truly an emotional foundation by which to build brand. And you mentioned Truett Cathy already. And, you know, I read a good portion of of the book and um, knew a lot about the brand anyway, right? Because it's one of the ones we hold up as a prime example Mm -hmm. of really, really embracing brand and making it the 
decision making lens by which you do everything for your business. And Mm -hmm. I think it was amazing to see some of the behind the scenes in that book of, you know, the fact that he was really about more things in life than numbers and dollars. Of course, he wanted to run a business and make money. Right. But that wasn't it. It was about modeling true grace for his employees. Um, I think some of the references were around just like the the easy stuff. Right. Smiling, making eye contact, making personal connections and genuinely taking interest in I think to your point, really respecting his people and so letting yeah. them do the job that they needed and, to do. And his gifts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is what we would really call starting from the top, right? So you had mm-hmm. someone that really was going to do that for you. And whether it's a single founder or a board or a C-suite, it has to come authentically from whoever the leader is. And it has to be a true belief that this is the way that you want to build your business. And then that allows everyone else to lean in. And to some of the points you made, Steve, really gives them that ability to do their job the best way they can while being themselves as part of this bigger brand, which is much more impactful and emotional than just, in this case, selling chicken sandwiches. And in April, I would tell you that uh, what you just said is a very good summary of what made uh, Chick-fil-A different. Still does. It's still family-owned, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would tell you, I was there almost two years before I really started to get it, and the the milestone event, which I discussed in great detail in my book, was in 1982, when the United States had a major financial crisis, um, uh, quite frankly, worse than even what we're, we're dealing with right now here. Uh, interest rates got up around 17, 18%. Shoo. Um, as a result, mall development literally stopped. And projects that coming that were coming out of the ground stopped. The two years previous to that, we'd opened roughly 50 stores per year. We were going to try to do that again in 1982. Uh, it became clear that was not going to happen. The bigger issue was that retail sales dove um, over 30% drop. Mm. Well, here we are in malls. So our sales dropped something like 35%. And suddenly for the first time, um, and it, you know, first time in the history of Chick-fil-A, which, which sure started in 1967, we have a cash flow problem. Yep. And he comes to our executive team. We're all young bucks. Most of us has been hired within the last three years with the, with the exception of Jimmy. Um, and the committee also included his two sons, Dan Cathy and Bubba Cathy. And Truett came in one day in a meeting. He said, guys, uh, we got a serious cash flow problem. I've signed a $10 million note bill of an office building and all my own personal assets are on, on that note. What are you going to do about it? Hmm. We just <laughs> we sit there looking at each other because for the most part, everything's kind of out of our control. Yep. Well, to shorten the story, we said, all right, sure, let's let us get offline and we'd like for you to come with us and we will dedicate two to three days to figure out what we can do. We go to a meeting facility at Lake Lanier, north of Atlanta, huddle up in a room, really no, no bigger than a typical hotel room. And we start doing what most businesses would do. We, we cut store growth. We froze salaries. Uh, executives actually took a pay cut. 
uh, let's see what else we did. We we cut budgets. Uh, in fact, one of the things we the only thing we didn't cut we were scheduling marketing rollout that year. The next year, uh, this new little product called Chick Fil A Nuggets. Um, <laughs> we left that in the plan. Praise God. Thank goodness. Yeah, right? good thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, within you know within two thirds of the first day, we've done about all we can do in a traditional cash flow management basis, looking at each other. And Truett's oldest son, Dan Cathy, who's now chairman, um, you know, he, he looked at the group, he said, you know, over half the Chick-fil-A operators and our staff have joined us in the last two years. I'm not sure they all know how we're looking at these issues and what's really important. Mm. Well, in a way, he was also describing some of us. Yep. And uh, he said, maybe we need to spend a little talk time discussing among ourselves, particularly with dad here. Why, why are we in business? Mm. And that led to a discussion that went on for another day and a half, almost two days, where we discussed why does Chick-fil-A exist? Predominantly listening to why Truett gets up in the morning and goes to work. Mm-hmm. And the essence of what we heard, uh, ladies, was him saying, look, I, I look at Chick-fil-A as a gift. Um, I've been through other crises. I've had two major health crises. I've had a restaurant burn. I had another restaurant that didn't work. I've served in the war. Uh, I, crisis is not a new thing to me. But how I look at this situation is I feel like Chick-fil-A, the sandwich in the business, is a gift from God. And given that Christ is a gift to me as my Savior, I want to steward this gift well. Um, So coming eight years of being in public companies, I'm getting a crash course 101 in Chick-fil-A culture. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 100%. Hundred percent, a little jarring, right? Percent, and I'll f- speed up the story to say that we started throwing words up on the wall on paper about why we exist, and the net of what came out of it was to honor Truett's desire to be a great steward of the gift. Was these this phrase, these words, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us. And to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with mm. And that would be the brand message <laughs> that yes, we're talking without, about here, without, right? Without saying it. Yep. He uh, was not motivated by wealth. Uh, profitability is the lifeblood of a business. We cannot operate and not be profitable. Sure. But I'm not interested in how much wealth I build. I'm not interested in growing fast. I want to be a great steward of this business and the people we attract to it. And that's, that was the filter that led to the, the purpose I just quoted to you. That filter is, that purpose is still the purpose of Chick-fil-A, word for word, not one word has been cha- changed. It's on a bronze plaque outside of that first building that he borrowed $10 million to build. Everybody goes by it when they go in the building every day Hopefully they're going back to it now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> once we nailed down purpose, 
then we kind of cleaned up the plan for 1983, went back and said, look, let's think and pray about this and we'll get back together when we get home. Two weeks later, we announced the plan, but we announced the purpose. And April and Ann, I, my, my sense was when we unpacked the purpose, it was by far more impactful than when we unpacked the plan. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this sense of relief, sense of motivation, a transferable sense of purpose that people identified with. Uh, we made it very clear this doesn't have to be your purpose. It doesn't even have to be the purpose of the operators running the stores, but this is the purpose of the home office and what Truett desires the brand to represent. Uh, we implemented, pe- people just went to work. And we implemented that plan. 1983 was still a very difficult year in the economy, but we had a uh, 36% sales increase. Same store sales went up 29% because we we only opened 18 new mall stores. And uh, we we came out of the cash flow crunch, as as you might might guess. Uh, Chick-fil-A has not had a sales decline since that 1982 crisis. Um, So I tell you that long story because it is literally the the cornerstone of that business, its culture, and, and what the family who owns it desires the brand to represent. And you won't see those words in advertising and you won't see them plastered in the restaurants. Uh, the desire is, as it said, is to be a great steward of talent, people, money, and to have a positive influence in all, on all who come in contact with the brand, which obviously is a major litmus test of what we put in front of the customer in all fr- at all fronts, food, service, communications, events. That's when I really understood Chick-fil-A and uh, had a great deal of influence on me designing, desiring to have a long career there uh, because it was not only an environment where Truett was empowering me and my team, but it was an environment that I personally, Diane and I personally identified with in terms of what was important to us. It, the business over time became a platform of ministry, not just for Truett and the, and the, the people in the uh, Chick-fil-A, I mean, the Kathy family, but it became a platform of ministry for, for us in our marriage. So um, there you go. Now, I mean, I think that's a, a fantastic story that exemplifies a lot of the things that we talk about all the time. So for everybody who's like, when we talk about vigilant leadership and we talk about hiring for aptitude and we talk about purpose and building culture, I mean, you just told a very beautiful story that weaves all those things together and really then exemplifies through the impact what can happen when you do those things. And I think, you know, just to put a fine point on the word purpose, because, I mean, that word comes up a lot. And I think that a lot of people and a lot of businesses don't spend enough time to really figure out what that actually means for them so that they can feel it and they can actually implement it through every single part of the business. And that was what I think you guys did so beautifully. Like it was in the hiring, you're hiring for character. You, it was in the way that you operated on a day in and day out basis. It was translated into the store. So the, so the employees knew whatever you do, we're going to have a positive influence on all of the people that we actually come in contact or that come in contact with us. 
And that is lived through every single part of the marketing, every single part of the touch points in the restaurant. And it's the only, I mean, personally, and I'm going to say a little something a little bit blasphemous here, but it's the only explanation for how something that's like as simple as a chicken sandwich can be have such a cult following. It's the only explanation. It's because yeah. the culture yeah. transcends every right. single element of the people, the the building, the you know, and the um the franchises and you know, and all of the stores, no matter where it's at, right? So everybody gets it, everybody knows it inside and out. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.